16. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a, a Bible, you can raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We are in verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let no one and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, for they are to be submissive, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak. In church? Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it, only, uh, was it you only that he reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. For if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not speak and do not forbid to speak with tongues. And let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, uh, there is such an abundance of life, Lord God, uh, that is in your word. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that there would be understanding in our hearts and in our minds, that there would be just changed lives here, Lord. Again, Lord, we come here uh, not as some routine religious exercise, but to change, Lord to grow and to change and to, to seek you and to become every, uh, the men and women that uh, you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So when a man or woman uh, who, d- who comes into uh, Calvary Chapel in the city And they don't believe in Jesus Christ, which is a fairly regular thing that happens here. We routinely get that kind of person. It is my prayer, it always has been, that through us, the Lord would do a work in their hearts. So that by the end of the service, they would be thinking about At least three things. One, that things are not okay between themselves and God. They're not okay. Contrary to their previous thinking, things are not okay. 
that they have lived a life opposed to God, that they desperately need to be saved. They desperately need reconciliation with the Lord. Number two, that they would realize that God himself desperately wants to save them. He desperately wants reconciliation. He wants peace. And that he holds out that peace, that reconciliation as a free gift. The third thought that I want, I want really just burning in their mind as they uh, sit in the service and that they leave is that, you know, wow, you know, this place is different than what I've experienced in the world. This place, there's a love here that I haven't experienced elsewhere. There's a humility, a kindness, a joy. It, it almost seems like the people here are, have not come here for what they can get, but they're here for what they can give. I want to stick with that third thought this morning as the backdrop to the message. Jesus said right before he was crucified again, a new commandment I give you, to love one another. By this the world will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And then he continued in John chapter 17 as he prayed to the Father. He prayed not once, but twice. I pray, Father, that they... Speaking of you and me, may be perfect in one that the world may know that you sent me. Somehow, in a way that we don't completely understand, that when the Lord, uh, or when the world rather, sees us, you and I, loving each other, when he sees you loving each other, when they see, see you loving each other, Something will happen uh, in their heart where, where they, they will come to the realization that, wow, Jesus Christ died for me, and the Father sent him into the world for that very purpose. The Corinthian church, at the time Paul wrote this letter to them, they were completely outside the will of God. Why? First and foremost, by the way they treated one another. Example, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation... Uh, in other words, each person was, each man and woman was showing up to church and, and for one purpose, to do their own thing. One uh, person wanted everyone to hear his or her psalm. A psalm is just the word for song. It's like, 
and oh man, I have a song, and I just want to share it. I just want to get up on that stage, and I want to share it. And uh, another man or woman came, and, and they just wanted people, everyone to hear uh, their teaching. And another came, and they wanted everyone to hear their angelic tongue, never mind that no one would understand it. They, they'd look real spiritual. Man, doing this thing and mysterious, and, and they wanted to do that. Another person just showed up. They just wanted to give that revelation, verse 26 says. And you know, that's just what the world does. It's exactly what the unredeemed, unsaved, unregenerate man does. Only they don't use songs and angelic tongues. They walk into every situation in life, and they're just doing what the nature is telling them. They're unredeemed. And they have one thing in mind. What do I want out of this situation? How can I benefit in some way by this thing I'm walking into? Or, or, or what can I gain from it? In Corinth, no different. No different than the world. No one was asking themselves, you know, I know what I want, but what does God want? What does Jesus want? I know what I want, but what do my brothers and sisters want? I know what I need. I need everyone to hear my song. Does everyone else need to hear my song? Completely outside the will of God. An unbeliever visiting the service would have seen the very same thing they saw day in and day out and day in and day out in the world. The church had lost its witness. Philippians 2, uh, verse 3 says this, let nothing be done by selfish ambition. Translation, let nothing be done just because you want to do it. That's the redeemed, saved, regenerate heart speaking. Let nothing be done just because you want to do it. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. I love that verse. Unfortunately, it's one of the most, it's, it's one of the most ignored verses in the body of Christ. Consider others better than yourselves. And then it goes on in verse 14. So that, listen, as children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you may shine as lights to the world. Question for you. Are you shining? Are you shining as a light in the world that God has put you in? In your job, your neighborhood, your family, and your friends, does your walk with God give off a clearly distinguishable light? Like a bright and shining star surrounded by complete darkness. Acts chapter 26 verse 18 says that a Christian has been turned from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God. So clear contrast there. Is there a, that kind of contrast between your life and the life of those who are around you. If not, you are operating outside God's will for your life. 
You know, I asked these questions to my own heart this morning. God's speaking to my own heart about those uh, questions. But if, I'm, if, that's, if there's not those, that contrast, I'm operating outside God's will for my life. Thank God for his grace that I don't have to stay there. Not even for one moment. I don't have to do penance for the next two and a half years. I can walk out of this service, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3.13, forgetting what is behind, moving ahead in the will that God has for me. But we see in the Corinthian church a people who were completely outside the will of God uh, for their lives. Verse 26, one at a song, one at a teaching, one at a revelation, one at a time. They were all coming into the meeting thinking, what, what can I get out of this? What attention can I get out of this uh, situation rather than what can I give? Now notice that uh, one of the things the, that happens, this is important, uh, when a man or woman has this kind of attitude, this kind of self-love, when we have this kind of attitude, this kind of self-love, because remember, it's just, it was all about self in that church. That's the spiral that they had, uh, the downward spiral that they had uh, gone into. Uh, listen, there, uh, there was no respect for authority in the church. When a man or woman shows up for church with the supreme motive of what they can get rather than what they can give, the authority of the church, the pastors, the elders, or whatever other authority is there, will mean very little to them. In addition, there will be no respect for the God-established roles in the church. So that's why, um, let me explain what I mean. Verse 27, here's an example. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three. You see, everyone was coming with a tongue, or what they thought was a tongue, an angelic tongue, to share with the church. And they didn't have any respect for the roles in the service. Of, it was just two or three. And then it goes on in um, verse 29. It says, and, and, and let... Had two or three prophets speak. So they were just showing up and just everyone wanted to do the thing. They had no respect for the, the God-given role that, that just two or three people had that morning. <laughs> and then it goes on in verse 31, for uh, you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and, and, and be encouraged. And so... Uh, and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, meaning that, look, you know, if someone's prophesying, if someone's speaking in a serv- uh, service, don't just tell me that you have to interrupt the person and, 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 and uh, start talking because, oh, wow, the Holy Spirit or, the, or God has come upon me. No, uh, the, the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet, meaning you have control over yourself is what he's saying there. No respect for the God-given authority and God-given roles. And that is the context for verses 34 and 35, where we left off last week. Verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Woo. 
not the verse that most pastors choose when they're thinking about, hmm, well, what should I, uh, what should I teach on this Sunday? How about 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35? Okay, now I'm taking roll call. Who was praying for me this week? You guys knew I was teaching on Who was praying? Come on, I'm taking roll call right here. All right, okay, I'm going write to write all that down. Not really. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. But uh, anyway, um, these verses, as I mentioned last week, can be physically hazardous to preachers everywhere. True story. Ready? True story. a very well-known president of a very well-known seminary. I won't mention the names to protect the guilty, okay? He was at a church, and he was preaching on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, which is a similar passage to this one. It was about the role of, of the wife in the home, that she was to be uh, submissive to her husband. Then uh, he preached this uh, sermon. He was a fiery kind of guy and uh, real motivated and uh, went through uh, that verse. And after the service, a woman came up to him. She had a large handbag in her right hand, which she held threateningly you know, by her side. She said, that was the most despicable, degrading, disgraceful sermon I have ever heard. If I was your wife, I would put poison in your tea. And he responded, if I were your husband, I would drink that poison. So this is what happens. Physically, uh, uh, the physical safety, okay, uh, of preachers everywhere. And, 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 you know, this subject can even uh, bring the most spiritual uh, person and have them start fleshing out. <laughs> and so, in all seriousness, you know, I am glad at Calvary chapter we, uh, Chapel we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because, you know, I can't avoid teaching on God's uh, word, every verse. And I can run, but I can't hide, you know. And, and, but you know why? Uh, it, 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 it really does make me glad because guess what? You know, in all seriousness, we need God's word. We need every bit of it. We need this verse, these verses this morning as much as we ever have in the year 2007. So let's talk turkey. What is the Holy Spirit Talking about, remember, it is the Holy Spirit talking. <laughs> Again, verse 34, let your woman keep silent in the churches. Now, if you were with us when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you would be a little confused by now. Why? Because in chapter 11, Paul wrote about specifically about when women prophesy and are praying in the church service. And he gave them instructions for, for women when they prophesied and prayed. And so why in one chapter is he giving instructions for women when they speak? And then a few chapters later, he's saying they shouldn't speak. Why is he doing that? And so that's why it's so important to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Not to mention the value of going chapter by chapter. 
Because anyone can take something, uh, a verse out of isolation and, and basically make any argument about anything. But, and you'll always get into trouble if you d- take a scripture in isolation. But because of what we read in chapter 11, we know that Paul isn't talking literally here. That they should never speak or utter a word. So what's he talking about? Well, again, let's uh, interpret scripture with scripture. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Another chapter about conduct during the service, a church service. Verse 11, chapter 2. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, plain and simple, brothers and sisters, I'm just going to lay out the word of God here. Paul is saying this, in the life of the church, there is God-appointed authority given to men that women should respect. Listen carefully. Because teaching, unlike prophecy and praying in a service, involves authority. Paul says, women, please don't teach. Actually, he doesn't use the word please. <laughs> now, again, let me, let me explain further. Remember last week what we said prophecy was. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Now again, sometimes we think of prophecy, we think about someone foretelling the future. But really, prophecy uh, is a much, much more commonplace thing. It is simply uh, the gift of, that God gives someone to speak the word of God, scripture, into someone's life. So on Sunday evenings... After our communion service, we give people an opportunity to share scripture which they believe God has put on their heart for the church. So we have a time of worship. Actually, it's been Albert playing the guitar. And man, if you have not been to, to, this, to this time, please, you, you are missing something really, really rich. But anyway, so we have this time and men and women will come up Stand right here and and share something from the Word of God that they believe God wants to share with the church. But when a man or woman or child does that, there's no authority there. They're just sharing something that God has put on their heart for the church. In the same way, when a man or woman or child prays in a service, there's no authority there. However, when teaching occurs, authority comes with it. Authority comes with it. Why? Because the person teaching is coming up with an authoritative position of the church on the subject. Now, let me give you a hypothetical example. Uh, One of our evening communions services after. uh, When a uh, a woman may be compelled by the Holy Spirit to get up and quote this very same scripture that we're teaching on. She gets up here and says, 
You know, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Pretty bold. She gets up there and, and shares that. God put it on her heart. That's a word of prophecy, and she's not exercising authority. She's just sharing something that she believes that's something that God wants to speak to the church. However, if she begins to teach on that verse and declares, this passage means uh, that a woman should never utter, utter a word in a church service under any circumstances. That'd be kind of strange because she's talking herself, but uh, if she said that, understand at that point that by saying that, she's coming up with an authoritative position of the church on that verse and how the church carries on its business. And so that's authority. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when Paul says, uh, uh, women are not permitted to speak, remember what the context was. already talked about chapter 11, where we were speaking about women uh, uh, speaking in church. The context, though, in chapter 14 was what? Lack of respect for authority. Lack of respect for God-given roles in the church. And the Corinthians had lost all respect for authority in the church service. And the women in the church had lost respect for the God-given authority that men had in the life of the church. Now, please stay with me. An issue that cannot be separated is the role of the wife in the family. Can't be separated from, from this one because the family is the building block of the church. And so the, the teaching of the role of the wife in the church, it goes hand in hand with the teaching of the role of women in church. Women are instructed throughout the New Testament. Actually, really, from Genesis chapter 3. They, you know, Ephesians chapter 5, though. Colossians chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter uh, 3. To, to live in submission to their husbands. Now, there's an enormous amount of confusion about what that means. Guys, it doesn't mean that, or husbands, it doesn't mean that you get to, you know, choose the color of your rug or what restaurant you go out to or what family vacation uh, uh, you go on. If you love your wife like Christ loves the church, she gets to make all those decisions, okay? <laughs> and we do, I have a, a series of, of four CDs on that. They're actually on the website, website. You can go there if you'd like. But, and I go into it in great length, but really supremely, what godly submission uh, by a wife means in the family is allowing, wives, allowing your husband to be a spiritual leader in the home, which means, among other things, encouraging him as a teacher of God's word in the home. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, Wash your wives in the water of the word. That's referring to teaching. It doesn't say, wives, wash your husbands in the water of the word. Now, uh, that doesn't mean, wives, that you don't uh, uh, share the, the word of God with your husbands. They, you should be doing that all the time. You know, some of the teachings of mine that God has used to, to really bless uh, people, I just stole them from my wife. That's all I did. You know, I'm not ashamed to do that. <laughs> you know, she's a wonderful uh, uh, teacher of God's word. And, and, you know, she'll share things with me. She's not teaching me. She's sharing things with me. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'll write it down. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that men, that um, 
you're not receiving from your wives uh, in the home. I hope you are. Because if, you're, if your wife follows the Lord, if she abides in Christ, there is so much to receive from her. But all this does mean that in the home, a wife who is, has that godly kind of submission is supporting her husband to be raised up as, as, a, as a leader, in the, as a spiritual leader in the home and to be a teacher of God's word. Now, again, I know the family is the building block of the church. You know? he, he is not going to have one model in the home and then turn it on its head in the church. No, God has established the church with the same model he established in the home. And so that is the teaching of 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter, and so forth. Women respect the God-given authority that your husbands have in, in, in the church and in the home. Now, a couple of very important caveats. First, all of this relates to spiritual authority that God has established in the church family. doesn't extend to the secular workforce or the government. So, uh, meaning a Christian woman can have authority over men in, in the secular workforce and in the government. J- uh, just read Proverbs 31, which describes uh, the characteristics of a virtuous wife. Among other things, her, uh, she was a businesswoman in a position of authority. Lydia, of the church of Philippi, you read about her in Acts chapter 16, was a velvet merchant, a, a, a garment merchant. So women in the workforce in positions of authority is just a practical reality of living in this world. Uh, The word of God, I believe, reflects that. Now, second, none of this means that women are somehow less valuable in the sight of God. No more than you if you have a boss at work. Someone in authority of you over work is more valuable than you. And, 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 you know, sometimes that, that will be the reaction to this teaching, the immediate, immediate sort of knee-jerk reaction. Oh, well, you're saying that somehow they're less, you know, of a human being. Nonsense! <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 28, puts it to rest. There's, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, end of story. Every man, woman, and child on an equal plane before the Lord. But the life of the church and and fa- uh, in, in the life of the church and, and in our families, God has established this authority uh, to give a wonderful spirit-given harmony and order, order in our lives and in, in the life of the church and in our homes. Now. The fun has only just begun. If you do a study in Bible commentaries on this subject, and you go back and you read all the commentaries for the last 2,000 years, there's been commentaries since the early church. Church fathers, Augustine, commented on the Bible, meaning they studied it and commented on it in writing. Um, I understand that Bible commentators prior to 1960 were in agreement that Paul in these verses was teaching that women should respect the God-given authority to men in the life 
of the church and family. It's not always an easy task to get people commenting on the Bible to agree about anything. On this, there was no disagreement. For 2,000 years, up until 1960. So for almost 2,000 years, you know, it had been interpreted one way, but then in 1960, suddenly a group of men and women, you know, whoa, they saw a light. And uh, they began teaching things like, you know, well, it's just a cultural thing, you know. The idea, believe me, didn't originate with them. <laughs> they, were, they were hearing this in the marketplace and in the world. It's just a cultural thing. And what was appropriate 2,000 years ago is not appropriate today. A warning for you this morning. Be very careful where you go with that argument. You know, whatever you may believe, and you can disagree with me, and that's fine. It's not something we don't have fellowship or we beat each other up about this subject, but, but be very careful before you buy into that bill of goods. Because let me tell you, if you begin dismissing portions of the Bible as culturally irrelevant, you wind up writing off half of it. That's what the world has done. The Word of God doesn't change. God doesn't change. The heart of God doesn't change. 1 Samuel 15, 29, the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. So over the past 50 years, actually the world has written off half the Bible as uh, culturally irrelevant under the guise that it's culturally irrelevant, but really in reality because they don't want to have any moral or any God-given authority or restriction on their life. I mean, it's the same thing that's been happening since the Garden of Eden. What did Satan tempt Eve with? You can be like God. That's what man and woman, fallen man and woman, want so bad. That's why they write off the Bible. They didn't want that God-given authority in their lives. And so, now I'm not saying there are not certain things in the Bible which culturally do not have a direct application in the United States of America, in Boston, in the year 2007. For example, foot washing. A common practice in Palestine, you know, 2,000 years ago. They wore sandals, they walked on dirt roads all day, and they lived in 100-degree weather. I like to see them do it here in January. You know, it's 10 degrees below zero. Boston has so much pavement, it's, it's five degrees above everything else that surrounds it. And, and, and you know, we, we have that pavement, and, uh, and we don't walk around in sandals. That, that was a, a, a culture thing that we can learn certain things from, but we don't do foot washing today. But unlike foot washing, marriage, family, relationships between men and women and the challenges that come along with them, they are not culturally relevant. They are the very fabric of our lives. That's our life. That's what our life is, is so much of it is it about. You know, we don't want to write that off if God's word has something to instruct us in it. 
You know, we're talking here about something that's so important. It's the body of Christ. The church, the body of Christ. You know what Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 18, about the body of Christ? He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty exciting calling. Going out and kicking down the, the, the gates of hell. You know, it's funny, this verse is actually quoted. You hear it quoted all the time. You know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And, and people co- quote it out of context. They quote it as something, you know, Satan's attacking us and we're in this little cave. And, and, but, you know, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. No, no, Satan doesn't take the gates of hell and then leave hell and then go around chasing us with the gates of hell. This is talking about an offensive thing. Jesus is is releasing his people, and he's saying, go out, and you kick down the gates of hell. They're not going to prevail against you. That's a pretty exciting calling. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So that means that in the missionary field called the world, that means your neighborhood your school, your work, with some of you, your family is under the sway of the evil one. Jesus has called you to go out and he has assured you, he's promised you, he's, he's promised you, he's assured you that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Wow, this is serious business. What a glorious calling, but guess what? You will never realize that calling if you start compromising God's word in your life. Never. You will live a watered-down, weak, powerless life. You know, when God called me to be a preacher of his word, he didn't call me into a popularity contest. When he called you... Uh, to be a child of God. He didn't call you. He didn't say, well, this is going to be a very popular calling. No, to the contrary. Jesus said, it's a narrow road, and few enter into it. And, you know, sometimes being uncompromising with God's world will make us very unpopular. But guess what? If you happen to be here, and you're thinking to yourself, well, this whole thing, you know, men and women, that's culturally relevant, and, you know, uh, I disagree with, it, with you. Guess what? You've got a lot of explaining to do. You have a lot of explaining to do. Because what has happened since 1960? What's happened? Since the world has departed from this particular wor- uh, word, that God, in order to establish harmony and life and order in the family, has given men authority. Not because they're any better, just because there's authority there that God gives to protect the family and to give life to it. What's happened? Prior to 1960, barring the death of one of his or her parents... A child could fully expect, except in relatively rare instances, to grow up with his 
biological married parents. Since 1960, when we started, you know, taking a, a fire hose and just watering down this particular aspect of the family, since that ta time, this will become a rarity. Something like 60% of, of, of all kids in this country will at one time have just one parent in the home. And guess what? The consequences have been devastating. And I just read you a few statistics, and I'm not, you know, reading from the Christian fanatic magazine here. I'm reading from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and similar kind of uh, uh, statistic uh, gatherers. Fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. Children growing up in a single-parent household are significantly increased uh, risk for uh, drug abuse as t uh, teenagers. Children who live apart from their fathers are 4.3 times more likely to smoke cigarettes. Children in a single parent family in single parent parents are two or three times as likely as children in two parent families to have emotional and behavioral problems. Three out of four teenage suicides occur in households where a parent has been absent. Wow. You know, we can get Mark Conrad up here from a woman's concern. He'll, he'll do a lot better uh, th uh, in this than I can with these kind of statistics. But it, it just goes on and on. In studies involving over 25,000 children uh, using nationally representative data sets, children who lived with only one parent had a lower grade point average, lower college aspirations, poor attendance records, higher dropout rates, twice as likely, actually, to drop out of school. School children from divorced families are absent more, more anxious, hostile, and withdrawn, less popular. Children in single-parent families are more likely to be in trouble with the law than their peers who grow up in, in, with two parents. Adolescent females between the ages of 15 and 19 reared in homes without fathers are significantly more likely to engage in premarital sex. A white teenage girl with, from an advantaged background not about money, you will see here, is five times more likely to become a teen mother. So, you know, growing the economy, that's not the solution. The solution is God's word. You know, it, it, what was the church built on? The rock. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's word is always so faithful and, you know, it, it's not always easy. And, and I thank God that with, with all these problems, you know, uh, because many of us grew up in, in a home with one, one parent, there's grace there and there's power there. And the, and the Bible says that the Lord will restore what the locusts have eaten up. But we need to go out with his word in an uncompromising way so that we can kick down the gates of hell. But if we compromise God's word, forget it. Well, we just have to be honest with ourselves. Is it our way or is it God's way? And we have to make a decision there, as unpopular as the decision might be. 
Next week, we'll pick it up in chapter 15, verse 1. I love this verse. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you. It's interesting that he leads with this verse right after this subject. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received in which you stand. That's what we want to do. We want to stand in the good news. Verse 2, by which you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you. Verse 3, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again in the third day according to the scriptures. That's the good news. That's the news that saves us. According to the scriptures. Oh, that God would give us the grace to 100% in a full-on uncompromising way to simply live every bit of our life according to the scriptures. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I just thank you that I can't hide from any bit of it. Lord God, I I, I thank you that you brought me, that you brought us to that place, Lord God, where we're willing to, uh, to, to read and study and, and believe and even obey in the word. Oh, Father, the glorious riches you have prepared for us by living according to your word. The word says it's, it's, it's pure, pure, the word is pure like honey. It refines better than gold or silver is refined. And, and, and Father, that's the, what a blessing to be, Lord, just in that calling where we go out and you've promised us this exciting calling where, Lord, the, your word says the gates of hell uh, does not prevail against us even as we're living according to your word and your will. God, but we do need your grace. Fill us with the Holy Spirit this morning. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord. God, if there is anyone in here who does not know you. Father, I just pray that they, Lord, would not leave this service, God, without fully recognizing that they desperately need you and that, Lord, you desperately want a relationship with them. And Father, for us, Lord, we just praise you that that is your heart for us, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please rise.